This Psychic Spectrum Radio Show podcast is brought to you by the producers of SP3 CBD oils, designed to assist you with your health issues ranging from pain, carcinoma, fibromyalgia, diabetes, neuropathy, and so much more. Find out more information at 253-297-7074 or on their website, sp3cbd.info. Hello, happy Tuesday, and welcome once again to the Psychic Spectrum Radio Show. I am Skip. And I'm Sharon, princess of chocolate, sparkles, and loving thoughts. And together we make up the Psychic Spectrum, and where we bring you all topics in the metaphysical, the paranormal, sometimes the science and the religion. Mm-hmm. And That's so, why it's called the Spectrum. That's right. And so, anyhow, welcome. And today we have a special guest with us. Um, who is the reason why I brought up the topic of science and religion, because that's <laughs> what we're going to talk about. And listen, don't let that those two words turn you off. This is going to be a really interesting discussion in or what you're going to learn. turn you on. Or turn you yeah, on. Either way, you know. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be a great discussion. <laughs> you're going to learn some things that you always suspected, thought about, um, or haven't, but you're going to think about them now. And it's going to make show. you think. That's the key word, think. Yes. And so have an open mind, and let's just see where we go with this. So let's go right to our, our guest, Michael Keese. Am I saying it right, Michael Keese? It's K-E-A-S, but it's pronounced keys, like car keys. Keys. Ah, okay. Excellent. All right. So Michael is an is author. It, isn't that weird that he's keys? Mm-hmm. He's given us the ah, key to the knowledge. Key, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Michael, I like it. Michael is an author who has written a book. Um, It's called Unbelievable, Seven Myths About the History and Future of Science and Religion. And that book, you can go to the website. It's unbelievablemyths.com. And Michael illuminates things that are not true that we've been taught or how we've been taught about those things. And Michael is also a lecturer, and I lost my notes here, at... University, no, you got your degree from the University of Oklahoma, am I correct? Right, my PhD in history of science from there, yep. Yeah, okay, yeah, and you um, also uh, were a a Fulbright scholar, and Mm -hmm. um, where do you lecture at? Tell people where you lecture at. Yes, in Southern California at Biola University, which is a Christian uh, university uh, with a great reputation. Yes, I've, I've heard a lot of things about that over the years. In fact, when I got out of the service, um, that was one of the places I had looked at to go and do some studying. So, oh well, I didn't make it there. But anyhow, I've I've had a, a good life about these things. And Michael, you are we're today we're going to discuss um, with our listeners and you about. Things that are misleading myths about science and religion. It's myth, myth, boy, I can't say the word today. Myths that you say leading science popularizes, um, kind of like uh, other scientists who are doing these things. They're, they're popularizing these theories or their practice around their agenda and the things that they do, what they are popularized in. And you wrote a book called unbelievable and i have to pause there the un and the believable because 
it's what's believable and what's unbelievable, I think, is what you're trying to convey in the topic or the title, correct? Yeah, because you'll hear these standard recycled stories from Bill Nye, the science guy, and Neil deGrasse Tyson, who are leading popularizers of science that make it look like Christianity or religion in general have been at odds with science through the ages. And so if you want to be on the right side of history, you you ditch religion, you go with science because science ultimately always wins. But I've actually looked at the history of this, which you know is what my PhD is in, history of science. And I found that over 25 years of teaching astronomy and biology, including the history of those subjects, um, those stories told by these so-called new atheists are themselves unbelievable. The history is actually a lot more interesting than the simple uh, science versus religion stories that you hear from Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm-hmm. And I, I've actually, um, yeah. I'm in the process of obtaining a copy of your book. I want to read this. Um, the to- see the topic of religion. Um, <clears throat> first of all, l- let me say this just for your benefit, but also for our listeners. Sharon and I are very Christian based. We believe in God. We believe in the Trinity and blah blah blah. Okay. But we don't I believe the gift is from God. That's right. And we don't what we do is we don't do what we do from a religious base. We do no. it from a spirituality or a, a, a Christian base, but spirituality. Mm-hmm. And right. so, stay on the white side. Yes. And I've always told people I just don't do man's religion. I, I do my own religion, I guess, is what it's called. But anyhow, you people have heard. I'll write. I'll read this little caption I've got here from your your book, uh, your website, you've probably heard that science and religion have been at war with each other for centuries, and that religion is is anti-science. There are stories like this everywhere. Yeah, we know that. And there's just one problem. Those stories are pure myth. They're not just myth. They're pure myth. And that's what kind of intrigued me. And we I'll be honest with you, Sharon and I have listened to you on the radio mm-hmm. um, a few times. We've we've it's we're like, we gotta talk to this guy. We gotta get this guy on the show. <laughs> we we wanna know. So we we have questions of our own, but uh, I like his voice. Yeah. Yeah, you have a very good radio voice. I'm into voices. But you have uh, well Oh, go ahead. Thank you. Although I am dealing with allergies, this is the worst time of year for me. Ah, uh. Well, it still sounded good to me. Okay. I get it about a month later when Christmas trees start coming out to the lot. It's everywhere <laughs> yeah, as we, we drive well, it around. It is that and time of year, you know, the trees and the cottonwood and all that stuff. But the truth around all this is that medieval Christianity positively influenced the rise of science. Let me read that again. Medieval Christianity positively influenced the rise of science. And this is one thing that you say in your book. And so my first question for you is, was the discovery that humankind is so tiny and seemingly insignificant compared to the vastness of the universe, was that all a blow to Christianity? Well, it's often made out to look like that, uh, Skip. And Bill Nye is, is particularly adept at giving this particular pitch uh, a few years ago when he was receiving the Humanist of the Year Award from the American Humanist Association. And these are people that are just sort of generically against religion. And, but isn't anyway, that a he, misuse of the term humanist? <laughs> it's yeah, like, I mean, if you really, really? Want, Yeah, I mean, if you're... Originally, humanism was the 
a Christian idea that you attend to not just religious topics, but the human condition in general, and it's all under uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ, as understood in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. But later, later on, humanism became more like a secular humanism or kind of an anti-God form of humanism. But, but attending to human needs and human history and attending to the, those top topics is not necessarily anti-religious itself. Right. But anyway, Bill, Bill Nye, he, he, in this uh, speech, he says, I'm insignificant. I'm just another speck of sand. And the earth, and I'm quoting him here, the earth really in the cosmic scheme of things is another speck. And the sun is an unremarkable star. And the galaxy is a speck. I'm a speck, on a speck, orbiting a speck, among other specks, still among still other specks, in the middle of specklessness. I suck. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard him say that. That's a quote, isn't it? Yep, it's a quote. I want to know what the specks are. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he's just using speck usually to, to mean something that is small compared to the size of no, the universe. I, yeah, I know. Yeah, I think the so, speck I am was a fat speck. Well, you know, look, you compare even a human baby with a million cubic miles of cosmic dust and gas, and there's a lot of that out there, by oh, the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. of course a human baby is more significant than just a bunch of, uh, you know, particles out in space. Yeah. So size and significance don't always correlate, do they? That's right. I agree with you. Yeah. So, but Bill Nye goes on to say, well, actually, what, what he really means is religion or spiritual uh, spiritual interpretations of our significance, they suck. He, he's in favor of a materialistic, a non-spiritual explanation of human significance, that we are an accident of the universe, we are the way the universe has become conscious of itself, but it's a merely physical process. Mm. And what we call consciousness is just kind of an illusion. It's just brain, it's just all chemicals in our brain and electricity and stuff like that. It's not, there's really no reality to the spiritual realm, although you and I would agree there, there, there's, there's uh, extensive evidence that there's more to us than just our material bodies, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. But, yeah. you know, don't scientists usually use the right brain a lot? It has to make logical sense, and one and one have to equal two. There is no margin for what if. Well, you know? sure, but, you know, there's always assumptions that lie behind arguments, and logic, you know, theology and thinking about spirituality, they, they can be reasonable enterprises, too. Yeah, It's true. just all, you know, logic is just don't make any dumb mistakes in drawing a conclusion that's not fully supported by, mm, by the science. original yeah. premises, yeah. the original ideas or exactly. observations that you're making. Yeah. So that applies to any field, science, yeah. religion, uh, economics, any, any subject, and scientists are humans, and they can make mistakes. Oh, sure. Now sure. I have I have to ask you a multifaceted question here, so let you don't have to answer every facet of it, but I got to say it to put this yeah. in the proper context. Flat Earth, okay. There are a lot of flat earthers out there. This is not something new, or is it something new? Is it something that evolved, or when did it evolve? But the real question here is medieval Christianity, okay. Flat Earth theory thought. Christopher Columbus was the guy who brought this out and said, hey, um, I can prove that the earth is round and it's not flat. Give me the bucks and let me go do it. So right. how do you put all that into context from your research and your, your system of how you're, you've uh, gleaned all this out of what you do? Sure. Yeah, Skip, you described the myth very accurately. And the, the myth or the false story goes like this, that 
Columbus had to fight off the ignorant Christian theologians to finally get support to go west to find the Far East. Uh, but the, really the debate, uh, of course, the, the myth says that the, the, the Christian theologians thought the earth was flat and were fearful that he and his, his crew would just sail off the edge of the earth and never come back. And they didn't want to fund that kind of trip. Uh, but the real debate at the time was not the shape of the earth. It was the size of the earth. And Columbus thought it was smaller than it actually is. He was actually mistaken. But unfortunately, he ran into another continent, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but medieval students in, in these Christian universities, by the way, Christians invented the university. That's it. The, a secular university is a much later idea, modification of the original idea, mm -hmm. which is a Christian idea. Mm -hmm. And there was tremendous academic freedom. The church did not micromanage universities. There was a, uh, they were self-governing institutions. The church funded the universities, but they didn't micromanage them. And so there was a lot of freedom for students to study the world, including, you know, what shape is the, the world, and particularly Earth. And they had a number of, you know, about a half dozen arguments at least that were routinely taught, reasoning from observations to the conclusion that very, very likely Earth is round like a ball, not flat like a pancake. For example, uh, during a lunar eclipse, that's when the shadow of the Earth uh, comes across the face of the moon, the edge of that shadow is distinctly curved. And people in the ancient world knew that, like Aristotle, and through the Middle Ages, the Christian Middle Ages, that was also just routine knowledge taught in the universities. So Christianity, if it was trying to hold back knowledge and science, it did a bad job at it because universities taught a lot of science. About a third of the curriculum was science and mathematics. So obviously Christianity and science and math are are compatible because we got centuries of, mm -hmm. of demonstrating. That's so true. Very good point. Yeah. So let's stop right there, Michael. Let's hold that first thought for a second. We've got to take a short break. When we come back, we're speaking with Michael Keese, author and lecturer, uh, wrote a book that's called Unbelievable, and it's separating the myths between science and religion. And this is the Psychic Spectrum Radio Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Ginger's Pet Rescue is one of the largest nonprofit pet rescue organizations in Washington State specializing in saving death row dogs. As of this airing, Ginger's Pet Rescue has saved well over 17,000 dogs. Go to the website and find an adoption event near you. You can also volunteer to help at events or you can foster a dog until they can be adopted. Ginger's Pet Rescue is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and accepts your tax deductible donations. The website again is Ginger's are you looking for a new home? Is it time to move? To get what you want in today's fast-paced real estate market, you need Ron Blood of Berkshire Hathaway. With decades of experience, he offers you the personalized service you need and deserve when shopping for a new home. Ron Blood is a real estate agent, and he has his finger on the pulse of Pacific Northwest real estate market. From Vancouver to Blaine and from Wenatchee to Gig Harbor, Ron Blood will work tirelessly and get you into the ideal home that fits your needs 
your budget, and your dreams. And if you haven't been pre-qualified yet, Ron will help you get pre-qualified so you have a distinct advantage over other buyers. Ron Blood will help make your offer stand out. Whether you're looking for a place to raise your family, find your dream home, or even downsize so you can settle in for retirement, Ron Blood of Berkshire Hathaway is there to help you find it. Contact Ron Blood of Berkshire Hathaway at 206-660-2884. That's 206-660-2884. He's also on Facebook. Just look for Ron Blood of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Be sure to support the sponsors of your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to uh, the Psyche Spectrum Radio Show on KKNW 1150 AM. And also, if you'd like to call in and give your opinion or ask questions of uh, Michael, I'm sure he'd be glad to, to do that. And you can call in on 425-373-5527 or 888-298-5569. So this is the time. You ever had a question about stuff like this? Feel free to nimble up those fingers, put that coffee cup down and dial that phone so we can at least hear what your opinion is. And if you have a question about this, is the person you want to ask. Huh? Oh, a question yes. about this. Yeah, okay. I'll, I was gone there for a minute. I came back. Um, I do want to say hi to all the showcase peeps and to um, Charles and Edom Claude, Charles in Texas, and Ann in Hawaii. I can't remember if I said Ann last week or not. I'm sorry if I didn't, but we do love you. Uh, Shelly, Sh- uh, Sherry, Winterway, Elaine, and many, many more. Patty, um, Georgie, we got so many people out there that support us and love us, and, and I want you to all know that we really, truly appreciate all that you do for us, and we hope we do for you. Um, I guess the only thing left is... It's that time um, that where we do our one special week. thing for the week. And Eric, what time is that? It's Sharon's Joke of the Week. I'm on the farm this week, Eric. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I have a chicken that can count its own eggs. Okay. Uh-huh. You know what I call it? The math of a chicken. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? I also found out that cows will produce more if you talk to them. So it's kind of like it goes in one ear and out the other. <laughs> that, that one I like. That one I like. Okay, kids, back to serious All stuff. right, back to Michael <laughs> Keese, our guest. Uh, lecturer, author, lectures at Biola University in California, has written a book called Unbelievable. And it separates the seven myths between science and religion or about the separation of science and religion. So, Michael, can you tell us the seven myths? Is there, can you just uh, rattle these off or tell us about them just to give us an idea about it? Sure. The first myth is a big universe is a problem for Christianity. It, it isn't, and I can explain why later. The second one is that Christianity is to blame for a thousand years of cultural darkness, the so-called Dark Ages or Middle Ages. Third is that medieval Christians thought the earth was flat, which is kind of a more specific version of the second mm-hmm. myth that I just uh, listed. The fourth is that Catholics bruned, burned Bruno, Giordano Bruno, in 1600 as a martyr for science. He was definitely martyred, but not for science, and I can explain why. Oh, good. The fifth is that uh, the church imprisoned and tortured Galileo for his scientific proofs that Earth moves around the sun rather than the opposite. And the sixth myth is that Nicholas Copernicus 
removed humans from the privileged center of the universe, and this uh, counted against uh, the likely truth of religion, particularly Christianity. And the seventh and final myth is the futuristic myth that I call the extraterrestrial enlightenment myth. And that's the idea that uh, increasingly a number of uh, scientists and philosophers are expecting, and these are atheist philosophers and scientists who are expecting a godlike creature to appear on the planet that will be purely naturalistic, but will be doing things that look like miracles. And I'll explain what's so weird about that futuristic myth and how it relates to the, the historic myths in my book. Well, I'm intrigued. Yeah, that, that's going to be a good read. Yeah. I mean, this is a topic I love. So let's pick on Giordano Bruno, philosopher, burned alive in 1600 as a martyr for science. Really? Well, he definitely was burned alive in 1600. Uh-huh. And he's typically brought forward as a hero for science, uh, he really didn't understand much of the science of his day. He, he did support a sun-centered moving Earth view, that is a Copernican view, and an infinite universe with extraterrestrial life in it. But these ideas were philosophically and religiously motivated, and he, he misunderstood or had a very limited grasp of much of the science, even by the standards of his own day. For example, the famous astronomer, Johannes Kepler, called his view of his, his uh, science, so-called science a dreadful philosophy. It really wasn't up to par for, uh, by the standards of the six, uh, you know, late 1500s when he was writing and going around Europe. And, but yeah, the, the Catholic Church did burn him. Mm -hmm. uh, now, look, the vast majority of Christians throughout history have been against burning or killing people because of their ideas. Um, love and logic is the way of Jesus, not coercion. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, atheists have burned way, or excuse me, uh, uh, destroyed way many more people than religion ever has. If mm -hmm. you're wanting to just do a, a sheer body count. Uh, and But anyway, that's a whole other topic. Mm -hmm. uh, and and when when religion kills people, in in as I explain in my book, it's a misinterpretation of the Bible, not an authentic uh, interpretation that that leads to such atrocities. Um, but anyway, that's that's the short on Bruno. But uh, you want to know any more about Giordano Bruno, this Italian philosopher? No, I'm I'm good on that. You gave me exactly what I was hoping for, actually a little more. And okay, I, I want to make one comment. Sharon and I sure. believe Jesus didn't teach religion he taught spirituality and i think what you said kind of goes along those mm -hmm. lines or helps in other words it does for me so um but let's move on to the another one of the myths galileo and everybody knows he had a trial um and it was about his science versus the christianity i want to preface this though with the fact that at the time the church had such a hold and a grip and power for pretty much around the known world at the time, that, sure, they're going to say, that doesn't fit us, it takes control away from us, and so let's put these guys to death. Let's put them on trial, discredit them, and make them penniless, whatever. And that's what my thoughts are about it. So talk about Galileo's trial, and that right. it shows science and Christianity are at war. Be before uh, Michael does that, are you making reference to that, that Michael said that more people have been killed? No religious. No, no, no. No, it's a whole separate thing. Or, or separate, by, yeah. 
okay. atheism. Oh, uh, I got gotcha. you. Official, official totalitarian state atheism, like in right. uh, Russia and uh, China and places like that. I yes. got gotcha. you. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So let's yeah. go to Galileo, his trial. The fact that th- the myth is that the science and Christianity were at war. Right. So um, this is the number one case study that is trotted forward as supposedly demonstrating that Christianity and science are always at war. Now, there are elements of conflict in the story, no doubt, but what specifically was the source of that content? It's the, the, the details make it a lot more interesting than simply science versus religion. Okay, so what did Galileo discover, first of all? Well, he, um, he invented the telescope based on uh, what he had heard. A, a, a guy up in northern Europe had made something like that, but he actually perfected the way of grinding lenses and pointed it to the night sky and was able to discover uh, that Jupiter has moons, for example, which no one knew before, mm-hmm. and that, that Venus goes through phases kind of like our moon does. Um, so it doesn't just look like a, a, a point of light uh, that doesn't flicker, which is what planets do, whereas stars, regular stars, they twinkle. That's the song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Mm-hmm. But planets like Venus, Mercury, you know, those planets, they don't twinkle, but they also, without a telescope, they just look like points of light. But when you point a telescope at them, particularly Venus, which is the one that, uh, given the primitive nature of Galileo's telescope, he could notice that it goes through phases like Venus. And uh, I, I would have to show you diagrams to compare the different views of the universe at the time. But just to make it simple, if the Copernican system were true, that is, if Earth and Venus and the other planets all go around the sun, which is at rest, then Venus should go through phases like our moon. But if the traditional ancient Ptolemaic view were true, Venus should not go through phases. Well, Galileo showed clearly it does go through yeah, phases. Yeah, it does, so yeah. So that means the ancient view had to be false. But there was a third alternative that many people forget that's been lost in history called the Tychonic view that was kind of a hybrid between the two. And according to that view, Earth is still at rest in the center of the universe, but the sun goes around Earth and the other planets go around the sun while the sun goes around the Earth. And according to that view, also Venus should go through the phases that Galileo was the first to see through his telescope. So Galileo did not disprove the old ancient Earth stationary view. He just simply showed you either had to have go with the Copernican view that the Earth moves, or with this hybrid view that took the kind of the best of both of the the old ancient view and the modern view and and put them together. So Galileo never actually proved the Earth moves around the Sun. He had a pretty good case for the time, but it was way short of proof. And even the Catholic Church, which was his church. Um, recognized in writing that, and I quote the leading inquisitor, Cardinal Bellarmine, he wrote that, it, it, quote, one, if one would, uh, if, in other words, if one could prove Copernicanism, which Galileo didn't, then he said, quote, one would have to proceed with explaining with great care uh, in explaining the scriptures that appear contrary. In other mm-hmm. words, he understood mm-hmm. that when the Bible talks about sunrise and sunset, that it's not necessarily teaching about what's really moving and what's at rest. Just like a scientist today, let's say a scientist and his or her spouse on the balcony, a romantic moment, might say, look at the beautiful sunset. 
not look at the beautiful earth turn. That would just ruin the romance, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, and so we use these terms, and without error, this is just observational language. The sun appears to set. The sun appears to rise. No one is committing themselves to an ancient view when they use these terms today. Mm-hmm. It's so the Bible can use the same language without error. And the mm. theologians understood this, and but they did think that the majority of evidence at the time was in favor of a stationary Earth. And you know, they were right. It wasn't until a generation after Galileo that finally the scientific evidence for a moving Earth became, you know, to the point where it was beyond reasonable doubt. So it's this reading of the present knowledge into the past, which we call anachronism, that gives the distorted, you know, perception mm-hmm. that Galileo was right, or that Galileo had a proof of the moving Earth when he didn't, and the Church was wrong and anti-science to oppose Galileo. Now, the Church was a little hyperactive. It was during the Counter-Reformation. They were worried about what the Protestants were doing. They overreacted to their own Galileo in their own Church. But uh, it wasn't as bad as it's been made out to be. And it was really two different views of science and two different interpretations of, the, of religion that were in, in the contest here. It wasn't science and religion per se that were in conflict. Uh-huh. You just blew my entire education. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Skip, don't feel badly. Most people have heard these. These are stories that get recycled over and over. They're in the textbooks all over the place. Mm-hmm. So don't feel bad that you were taught the myth. It's just, well, let's just rejoice that we finally got the history right. Yeah, yeah, really, exactly. You know, I have to say, you mentioned Bellarmine, and we have Bellarmine High School here in Tacoma. And oh, yeah. not far from us. And um, I read a little bit about, little, very little bit about him. But anyhow, I, the thought, I had needed to mention that for some reason. Two of my sisters yeah. attended that yeah, high school. I don't know why that had to be mentioned, but, but bless but your heart. <laughs> it, it kind of ties things together <laughs> for me. Um, but but I, you know, for the day, they didn't have all this equipment to really look up into the stars and the planets. And I think, you know, they were really doing well for what they had to work with. True, but you know? but the, the the interference from the church or the interference from the science with each other, where did that divide come from? What was the the just the basis of how did that evolve? That well that, you know the, the Vatican supported science. In fact, uh, there's an uh, John Heilbron at UC Berkeley, he's a leading historian of science and definitely not religious in any way he wrote a book about Christianity being the top supporter of science for centuries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so Christianity had financially, you know, supported scientific research, and the Vatican in, um, had their own college called the Collegio Romano, or the College of Rome, and the Jesuit astronomers, they supported this third viewpoint that I mentioned, the Tychonic viewpoint, mm-hmm. that right. put together what at the time seemed like the best supported theory, at yeah. the, uh, given the evidence available at the time. Now, yeah. of course, we have overwhelming evidence for a moving Earth now, but that just wasn't available at the no. time. So these See, Catholic that... scientists were being entirely rational to say, Galileo, you haven't proven... Uh, of course, Galileo himself was Catholic, but the, the Jesuit astronomers said, Galileo, you haven't proven the, the moving Earth. You, you've given an argument for it, and, and that's fine to give an argument for it, but you haven't proven it. And they were right about that yeah. mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. And I, I will say this, that for people that don't know, the Jesuits are a, uh, a faction within the Catholic Church, and they are the scholars 
of the Catholic Church. The the I'll just leave it at that. The scholars, and yeah. and don't they have the biggest telescope there is well, out there? Well, that's my next thing I'm going to throw out here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, and get Michael's opinion on this is the 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 uh, Vatican has the largest astrological library in existence, mm-hmm. and if this all goes back to when they separated science from religion, they separated the astrology and astronomy to say that astrology is next mm-hmm. and we're going to keep astronomy here and that science, it's going to become a science. And they did, they did that in support of science. They wanted to take the metaphysical, the, the woo-woo or the, the uncontrollable out of the equation. And so that proves to me, I and mean, that gives me more validity to what I've always thought and what I've learned and studied, that they did support science. Mm-hmm. So right. I, yeah, I, are, you, right. are, you, are you thinking I'm okay on that? I mean, there, it took centuries to kind of tease out the difference between astrology and astronomy. The two were very tightly intertwined for yes. a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in terms of, uh, you know, I, I mean, there's obvious physical ways in which things in the heavens influence things on earth. I mean, the sun causes things to be warm or cool, you know, so it has an influence on what happens on earth. But uh, science was the, is eventually uh, teased out the, the part that wasn't well substantiated by evidence from the part that was. Exactly. And, uh, and, then they, and then ever since, astrology and astronomy have been on largely separate tracks. And sure, Christianity was all a part of that, that winnowing process of, of, you know, constant evaluation and reevaluation to discern what can we, what is the knowledge that is best supported by, the, you know, reliable evidence? Good, good, good way to say but that. I like that. That's how scientists think. Mm-hmm. Scientists have always thought whatever was a miracle or whatever just hasn't been able to be explained yet. And when they can figure out how something works or doesn't work, then they can explain it. It's no more, it's no more yeah. not known right. to be the truth. So, I mean, that's just the way scientists operate. Now, we have to stop here. Pause. I know that's a simple terminology. But. We're, we're going to pause and take a short break again. And this is the Psychic Spectrum Radio. We are speaking with uh, Michael Keese and an author who wrote a book called Unbelievable that talks about the seven myths between science and religion. Notice the number seven. The number seven. <laughs> that's right. And we'll be right back. This is the Psychic Spectrum Radio Show. Have you heard about the Psychic Showcase? It's a weekly event that has some of the world's best-known speakers on almost every topic in the metaphysical. It's been going on every Wednesday evening at the same location for nine years. When you attend, you'll learn about psychic ability, ghosts, UFOs, angels, mediumship, astrology, ghost hunts, Sasquatch, and so much more. There's a complete panel of psychics, astrologers, healers, and other modalities. Everyone who attends gets a free psychometry reading from a member of the panel, and you can have a private reading before or after the program. Join Sharon and Skip every Wednesday evening at Five's Poodle Dog Restaurant for the Psychic Spectrum's Psychic Showcase. You'll find like-minded people who are interested in having fun, learning, and experiencing the premier psychic showcase in the Pacific Northwest. Admission is just $8 per person at the door, and dinner and desserts are available from the menu. You can find out more information about the Psychic Spectrum's events at PsychicSpectrum.com. Is someone waiting to speak with you from the other side? Are you trying to reconnect with them? 
If so, you have that ability right now. The Psychic Spectrum's Talking to the Other Side presents evidential mediums Sharon and Skip Langame. On the first Saturday of each month, Skip and Sharon spend four full hours talking with those who have passed on. Everyone who attends gets a message from Sharon and Skip. They also tell you things they psychically pick up about you, kind of like a psychic reading. Their messages are often based upon the energy that the audience brings with them. It assists Sharon and Skip in transmitting messages of love, memories, and thoughts, along with evidential details that you can recognize. And this helps prove that their existence and love for you never dies. You may come or go at any time during the event. The doors open at 5 p.m. and the program starts at 6 p.m. Admission is $30 per person at the door and dinner and desserts are available from the menu. You can find out more about the Psychic Spectrum's events at PsychicSpectrum.com. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash 1150KKNW. Welcome back once again to the Psychic Spectrum Radio Show. This is Skip and Sharon, and we are speaking today with a wonderful guest, Mr. Michael Keyes. And Michael uh, wrote a book called Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Talks about separating the, the seven myths between science and religion and showing us that a lot of the things that we taught show that they were wrong. And he debunks these myths about science versus religion and separating them why and when and where and how. But from a scientific point of view, and I mean, it's fascinating. I could do a three hour show with this guy or a conversation. Well, who on knows? The phone. We might one day. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> So, Michael, once again, some talking points that we have here is when did people become aware that Earth was tiny compared to the rest of the universe? Were ancient religious peoples, meaning the common masses and those who ran religion, were they ignorant of this fact or where does this come into play? We talked about this. You touched on it briefly when we opened the show. So... We're not a t- we are a tiny speck, but we're not a tiny speck. We're part of the cosmos. Right, Skip. The most famous ancient pagan Greek astronomer, a guy named Ptolemy, he once wrote that the Earth has to the senses the ratio of a point to the distance of the the sphere of fixed stars. Or you know, mm-hmm. so he he what he meant was when you compare how big Earth is to how far it is to the to the stars, mm-hmm. Earth Earth is like a point that is dim- totally dimensionless, like totally insignificantly small in terms of the cosmic size of you know the, the totality of, of existing things, and that was that was supported by observation and reasoning throughout the ancient Greek uh, civilization, and but you can go back even further to uh, ancient Israel. For example, the poet who wrote Psalm 103, he wrote that for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast, is his, that is God's steadfast love toward those who fear him. Now, the psalmist is comparing the the height of the heavens to the greatness of God's love. So does that suggest the psalmist thought the the universe was really, really small or very big? If it's saying it's comparing it to to the greatness of God's love. Oh, yeah. You see, it, of course he, he thought the universe was big. Mm-hmm. If he thought the universe was small, he, would, he wouldn't use that as a poetic way of expressing the greatness of God's love uh, for those who actually uh, come to him on, on his terms, not in any self-styled way. So that was an ancient Hebrew view. Um, that, that's a religious view. 
and then I quoted you a scientific view. They're, they're in sync with each other. They were in the ancient world, and there's no reason why they, can, they need to be in conflict today. You know, um, just because we are small compared to the size of the cosmos doesn't mean there can't be a significance to human life. And for traditional Christianity, that's been explained by the incarnation of Jesus. He came to this earth. This is a, you know, this doesn't mean that humans are better than aliens if they, if they exist. We might be the most, uh, the lowest form of intelligent life, the ones that have messed up the universe the most, that <laughs> needed redemption. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've met a yeah. few of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think I, I, I identify with that. I think we're all, basically, we tend to be selfish, and it's only, uh, it's, it's, it's nice when uh, selfishness can be overcome with love. Um, and I think Jesus is the key to that. But I know yeah. there's different spiritual views of how, of how love works and how, how we ought to live our lives. Yeah, and, and you know, you touched on my next question, so let's go right into it. Um, extraterrestrials and extraterrestrials enlightenment. Um, how, yeah. I'll just go right to it. How do you debunk that myth that science will replace religion? Because I don't believe it will. I think they will both exist equally. So how do you, how do you ex- debunk that? How do you explain that? Yeah, okay. Well, first of all, the... No one knows whether extraterrestrial life really exists or not. We know that at least intelligent life lives on this planet, although it's not always, always intelligent, right? Right. <laughs> but, uh, joke. Uh, no, I, I got the, it. <laughs> look, the, um, what I show in my book is that there is an increasing number of scientists and philosophers who are giving us the expectation that if ET, that is extraterrestrial life, appears on the planet— because of the vast distances in space to even possibly habitable planets, because we still haven't found one that has all the dozens and dozens of traits that are needed to make for, a, uh, for life support for complex and, and potentially intelligent life. Right. So given the vast distances, their technology, if they arrive, would be indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. That's what many scientists are saying and philosophers are saying who don't believe in God, who are atheists, but are, are predicting something that looks godlike. In fact, Richard Dawkins once wrote that, and I'll quote him, and he's the most famous atheist on the planet currently, Dawkins says there are very probably alien civilizations that are superhuman to the point of being godlike in ways that exceed anything a theologian could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And they, they, many of them are writing that they would be evolved beyond us and, and have higher moral and spiritual insights that would revise Earth's uh, views of spirituality and religion. Uh, well, okay. This some components of this story sound scientific, but one reason why I sh- I show that it, that this is un- very very unlikely that there would be an actual alien contact on Earth is that again the universe is big, and there might be aliens out there. No one really knows for sure, but the the probability of alien contact of aliens actually arriving on the planet is exceedingly small, given what we know about uh, every planet that we've discovered up to this point. None of them have all the characteristics needed for life, for, that is, for complex life. And so so what atheists are doing here is they're just saying, look, we know that the, the likelihood of a planet being life-supporting is very, very small, mm-hmm. but given the universe is really, really big, eventually we're gonna, there's going to be one out there that's going to do the trick, so if they arrive on the planet, or they appear to arrive, they're going to have technology that would look like magic to us. And what's really weird about this, um, 
Sharon and Skip, is that let's just suppose in our lifetime, let's, who, no one knows, but let's just suppose in our lifetime, some creature appears on the planet that looks that it looks like it's doing miracles. I mean, the supernatural. Right. Well, the atheists are not going to be phased at all if they're following Richard Dawkins and the like. They'll say, well, of course, they're just aliens. They're more advanced than us. And yet there is also the possibility that these are actually supernatural creatures. And so they're, they're, if that event does occur, there's going to be a big debate on this planet. And uh, it, don't think that the, the scientific view is they've got to be aliens. You can be a scientist and believe in God. I show that in my book, right? Mm -hmm. You can believe in the reality of spiritual beings and still be a scientist. And so I think that the, the presumption is that, well, if you're really rational and scientific, you're going to say, no matter how supernatural these beings look, they're going to have to be simply aliens. And I, I'm arguing that it will be an open debate and that both sides are going to have to bring forward the evidence. There's not the presumption that, oh, if you're scientific, you're going to have to say they're aliens and not supernatural beings. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Now, but you know, who's to say that aren't they kind of judging life on other planets by what it would take for us to survive on that planet? Maybe aliens don't need oxygen or something. Well, you know, Sean, that subject is a huge topic in what's called astrobiology, uh -huh. um, which is the study of what are the, you know, given what we know of from science, what does it take for uh, there to be the minimally complex organism and then and also more complex organisms? Mm -hmm. And people have explored, you know, silicone-based life instead of carbon-based life like, uh -huh. like we have. Mm -hmm. And when you do the, the actual chemistry and the science, there's surprisingly a limited number of ways that you can make the chemistry work to be life-supportive. Hmm. So now in science fiction, which I also uh, cover the history of science fiction in my book, by the way, which mm -hmm. is a fun topic, science fiction, you can imagine all kinds of life forms radically different from life as we know it. But scientists have to be a little more constrained than that and say, well, come on, based on what we actually know about natural laws, which are the same throughout the universe, what are plausible forms of different life beyond life on our planet so so there's a little there there is some there are more constraints to what we could legitimately expect to find on other planets uh it can't just be anything goes yeah like okay yeah okay. that makes total sense i get that makes total sense yep. you know it, it's it's refreshing to find someone who can talk the science versus the religion and talk science and religion mm-hmm and we are not against religion at all. And Heck I've no. always said that if people need to go to church, whatever blows your dress up, go for it, you know? And it, it's it's like, like the, they need, people need the moral compass that's enshrined yes. within religion. I think you need both. And, and I think they yes. ought to work together myself. And I've always believed that science proves religion eventually. And they have to go hand in hand. And religion, as conv convoluted as it has become, all of them over time, um, to me was done for control of the masses. I mean, but that's it, just it, your opinion. That's my opinion, <laughs> but and I, I am by no means a, a professor or scholar on this at all. But um, I just believe that science and religion go hand in hand. And yeah, yep. I, I totally believe yeah. that. I would, love know, to, I would love to see religion get back to spirituality more mm -hmm. than, you know, processes and I think and they are little things. by little. I think so, too. I mean, it's going to take a few decades yet, but, it's, but I think we've started. 
Yeah, but you were going to say something, Michael. I cut you off. Yeah, the it's Galileo, Kepler, Newton, these famous scientists, they also believed in miracles. It's not anti-scientific to believe mm-hmm. in miracles. No. In fact, a, a miracle only makes sense, can only be recognized if there's a backdrop of regularity, that is, natural laws against which the miracle uh, stands out as an exception to That's the rule. That's right. right. If, if everything were totally chaotic and no regularity, no natural laws, then everything would be unexpected and nothing would be uh, there would be no miracle as a sign that's why when jesus was on earth there was this spike in miracles the point was that it was supposed to point to the uniqueness of jesus christ and yeah. his godhood yep. but you know so if, if 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 miracles if there were no natural laws then miracles wouldn't even make sense as a as a rational category so they're complementary aren't they not at odds absolutely but you know there, there was more than one person on earth at the time of jesus that did miracles sure Yes, uh, there's a whole history of the yeah. Old Testament, but yeah. there was a spike in the, the number of, and the, the, the most remarkable miracle was the resurrection that left yes. ripple effect through history yes. that <laughs> makes it a rational thing to believe in, not yeah. just, well, I just believe the miracle because I want to believe it. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. yeah, and so we could, really, we could say Jesus was a scientist proving that <laughs> this can happen. Maybe. So, but, Michael, we have to end our discussion. I, you can't believe how much I enjoyed this. Um, I, I really, it's right up your alley. This was awesome. I mean, you just, uh, if, if we were in private, I mean, we could, you and I could have a discussion. I'd question you and I'd be making hours. dinner and you'd just <laughs> yeah. keep talking. It's... But thank you so much for coming <laughs> on the show today. Um, and I want to tell people this book that Michael has written, it's by Michael Keyes and it's spelled K-E-A-S and it's called Unbelievable. And you can contact him how? Um, go ahead, Michael. Yeah, well, uh, the website that you mentioned earlier, Skip, unbelievablemyths.com, and myths is plural, takes you right to the Amazon page for purchase. But if you go to YouTube and just put in my last name, K-E-A-S, and unbelievable, in fact, K-E-A-S almost looks like chaos. So just think of unbelievable chaos, Google that, or put it into YouTube. There's a bunch of short video clips explaining each chapter of my book on YouTube. Okay, cool. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I'm writing this down. Unbelievable chaos. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to check this out. Um, That's my life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, again, thank you. It has been a real pleasure to meet you, a real in-person, talk with you in person, and a real pleasure to have been able to discuss this with you. You just talked to him in person. Well, not by sight. No, not not by sight. Only by audio. Michael, again, thank you for coming on with us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. maybe we can do something together again in the future. And, and Skip, remember to spell chaos, K-E-A-S, which is my last name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Thanks, Michael. We'll, and we okay, hope to care. talk later. Have a good week and take care of those allergies. All right. Thanks, John. Okay. All Bye-bye. right. Wow. What a fascinating Well, you could go hours on that, couldn't you? A guy that yeah. knows I mean, these things. But see, you have to keep your mind open. Yes. And, and just not, and think, well, you know, does it fit? Does it not fit? You know, you, Take what works and leave the rest, you know? You know, in the but metaphysical... Does make you think. In the metaphysical, we always... And we operate from this stance is that nothing fits, but everything fits. Yeah, yeah. You just have to make it fit for you and put it into the right context. That's the way I feel about my dress when I put it on every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. God, that was a good talk. Michael yeah. Keyes. Thank you, Michael. At unbelievablemyths.com. Mm-hmm. Um, his book. Okay, 
So is it time for? It's time for. It's time for, Eric. No, it's not time for Eric. But Eric is here. Yes. Thank you, Eric, for doing what you do. Oh, well, thank you. Thank and you, Sharon. Time mm-hmm. for Skip's Corner. Skip's oh, Corner. Oh, gosh. I think we ought to call it Skip's Roundhouse because corners are so, you know, it's yeah. got points As long to as it. it's not a roundhouse kick. Because some of these already feel oh, like you've got a <laughs> Very good point. Very good point. Usually right. it's my jokes, but okay. Right. <laughs> my corner for today, I have true or false for you guys. Oh, my gosh. Really easy. And Ten it, Commandments. It's, it's yeah. It's kind of it's kind of trivia, okay. but it's kind of other stuff too. But it's yay or nay. So we'll call this one tiny tickles. Tiny tickles. Yes. All right. This is the cutest sign. Three minutes of tickles here. True or false? <laughs> this has got to be the tiny, or the cutest science experiment of all time. Neuroscientists True. have discovered that rats laugh when they're tickled. True or false? False. Eric? I would say that's false, yeah. Oh, it's absolutely true. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> Neuroscientists have discovered that. Mm. How do they know a rat's laugh when they hear it? Has anybody ever heard a rat laugh? They got to give them a little beer first, though, oh, and then that's true. Then they giggle. You know, before the crowbar was invented, crows used to go to the tavern. Oh. <laughs> this is Skip's Corner now. <laughs> That just brought it to my mind, that's all. <laughs> okay, true or false? This goes along the lines that whether you're trying to gain radioactive superpowers and become a superhuman. Oh. So, do bananas measure as radioactive that they do or don't? I think they do. Well, there was a superhero called Banana Man. Who, yeah, there was. <laughs> who also happened to be his secret identity. He was Eric. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> so now your answer is going to be based on Banana Man. But I don't believe that Banana Man was radioactive at all. So I I'm going to say that it, it, bananas aren't radioactive. I know bananas have a lot of potassium, potassium in them, and that means absolutely nothing. But I'm sticking with it. All right. Sharon got this one right. They are da, slightly da, da, radioactive. Da, 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 da. Every banana, it's a natural phenomenon, a natural occurrence. All right, so they, maybe they actually have bananas a term. do give you superpowers. I'm coming back. <laughs> they have a term okay. called BED, banana equivalent dose. Really? Oh, yes. Okay. All right. So if you eat too many bananas in one day, do you, you glow in the dark? You start glowing in the dark, yeah. Okay. Who <laughs> knew? You turn yellow. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it glows. <laughs> okay, let's see. Sleeping with fishes. Is the title of this one? I did that, and they and they all died because I took them out of their aquarium. Are dolphins and whales <laughs> left-brained or right-brained? I think they're whole-brained. I think they're more <laughs> right-brained because dolphins, you can connect with dolphins really, really well. I think they're intuitive. So are they left or right-brained? I think they're more right-brained. And Eric, you said what? I I think they're whole whole brain. brain. They have whole brains. They don't just have a half a brain. All right. Eric got this one right. So you guys (laughs) tied today. One to one. I'll I'll read this to you. Getting a nap in the ocean requires them to let one half of their brain sleep at a time while the other half keeps them conscious. Well, now that's a trick that I don't have. We have to go. Thank you for listening today. This is the Psychic Spectrum Radio Show. And And as our theme theme song says... Eventually. It's a wonderful world. Love you, Daddy. <laughs>